Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. In this episode, we have a chat with Nora Van Boven. She's an investor and the co-founder at Invested, but she's also a board member to numerous tech startups and a global people executive. She has worked and led people teams at SoundCloud and 26 and Deloitte. And with more, we reflect on high context culture. So how can you actually craft and design a context in which your team can autonomously perform? And we also chat about feedback and how can you give feedback in such a way that actually enables people to thrive and really learn from it and really can turn things around for situations where performance doesn't really hit the benchmark. So lots of really good nuggets in this episode. I hope you get a lot out of it. I, as a founder and team lead, have really learned massively during this episode. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation and let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Teams at Work. And we are here today with Noor. Welcome, Noor. Hi, Anthony and Daria. So great to be at your podcast. I always listen to it. So happy to be a guest now. That's so awesome. We're definitely really, really thrilled to have you. And I'm really excited about many questions we're going to ask you today, because I think having been with SoundCloud and 26 and now working with so many high growth and exciting and future oriented companies, I'm really, really looking forward to all the anecdotes and also all the war stories you have to share and the advice, of course. So let's jump right in. And my first question to you would be, What type of leadership do you think teams and particularly tech companies and like high growth tech companies need to actually thrive and succeed? Like what does good leadership look like in that sense for you? So when you're working in a corporate, a lot of the times we are talking about situational leadership, right? But I think in a lot of tech companies, the situations are very comparable in the sense that it's fast moving and fast changing. In those environments, two elements of leadership are really important. So one is a very developing leadership style. So the ability to constantly proactively grow your employees so that they are ready for tomorrow. And tomorrow is literally tomorrow. Tomorrow is not next year. And the second piece, and I hope we can unpack that a little bit today as well, is much more what I call deliberate leadership, right? So very often management and leadership is taken as a a side task and and we do it very intuitively and maybe you get a management development training that provides you with some tools. But I think that what we really need to make sure, and especially in this fast changing environments where a lot of professionals work, who want to work autonomously, they need managers who are deliberately about their management styles and the management actions 
that they are putting in place constantly. And I have, of course, a follow-up question on this. I know, Anthony, you're ready to ask yours, but I want to follow up because... So I, it makes sense to me to be deliberate and intentional about what type of behaviors you use, what you communicate, what is your main message to your team and your stakeholders and so on. But how do you actually decide what like the right message is and what is your style? What are like the right behaviors for you? Do you have any any thoughts on this? Yeah, because for me, like deliberate is not only about the style that you choose, it's also what you communicate, right? So let's take a topic. If you would ask managers, what do you need to focus on? A lot of managers say goal setting, right? Like we're already outside of feedback one-on-ones, like, like goal setting. Sure. But goal setting is very narrow. It's just like, okay, where do you need to get to? I think in organizations where you have a high professional employee base, it's much more important to be deliberate about the guardrails that you're setting. Mm. So very easy example, you create autonomy if you're very clear about what people need to deliver. That is your goal setting. But the guardrails provide actually the guidance what the playground is. So a very easy example is in budgeting. If I say, Daya, spend the money like it's your own. I trust you. And then you get a bill of 20,000 euros. So now you're thinking, does Noor even realize that I get bills of 20,000 euros? So you get really nervous. So it's not increasing your autonomy because now Mm -hmm. you're going to call Anthony. Do you think Noor knows that we get bills of 20,000 euros? Anthony also doesn't know. You talk about it for five minutes. Then you're going to call me to discuss it. Imagine that this happens in an organization 500 times a day. If I would have said, Daria, you're amazing. I know you will spend wisely. Everything up to 50,000 euros, don't worry. Got it. Right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, now you have a guardrail, but actually you experience much more autonomy. So this is about, as a manager, be very deliberate and explicit about what needs to be delivered, but also think around what is the context that the employee needs to really operate in the highest level of freedom which will increase innovation speed and all those beautiful things that we are aspiring to. I love this because I think we, Anthony and I had a conversation about this issue recently where I told him, you know what? I sometimes feel when investors ask me or shareholders ask me like, Daria, are you sure we can deliver this by that date? And I'm like, to be honest, I don't have the humans that do product development and bunch 100% of time all under control. There are separate humans, there's team dynamics. We learn something new every day. I definitely have influence and impact. I do think so. (laughs) However, I don't have full control about everyone because that would be like micromanagement and that's absolutely not realistic. And I remember, Anthony, you said something like, well, Dari, you can control the constraints. That's your lever. You can tell them where not to go and what not to do. So it's much more about the no-goes and a clear North Star that they're working towards rather than actually predicting each and every step that people take and be able to estimate how long they take. Yeah, exactly. And Netflix became very famous around the low control, high context environment. But a lot of companies, when I ask them, like, who do you want to be as an employer? This is what they tell me. And then I ask them, okay, so what do you put in place to be really good at setting high context? Because the misunderstanding with a lot of companies is, okay, we are going to be low on control. We don't do anything. But being high on context requires a lot of conscious activity to really do that well. I prefer that. I think you will have the highest performing organization in a high context organization. 
But that is hard work. That shouldn't be underestimated. And it's hard work for your managers and leaders. And I've seen very little companies focusing on building the capability with managers and leaders to be really good at contact setting beyond goal setting. Super interesting. And Noor, real quick before I ask my question, because I, I think it's, I want this on the record because it's such a good idea. I do think at Bunch, we try to use this idea of constraints and sort of, um, I'm American, so I grew up in these, I, I don't know if this is an American thing actually, but these bowling alleys. Uh, yeah. And when you're young, you have the, the, we call them bumpers, right? I always think of them as bumpers, right? When you're a kid, you just put the bumpers up, therefore you can you can only win to really extend the metaphor as much as possible. You can only succeed, but it's because you have bumpers. But if a manager is out there going, okay, guardrails, constraints, bumpers, this is all great. Um, how do I do this? How would someone go about looking at their day-to-day and the challenge that they may have and and setting guardrails? What do they do like actually step-by-step step now to even think about putting something like that in place for their team? So very pragmatic way. Great question, by the way. Like I love pragmatism. Think about, for example, I think most of the people, maybe not everyone who's listening, they became really famous with like their wall charters, right? And in it, it also says, it breaks down actually also a lot of those guardrails. So for example, what are your decision-making responsibilities? And there you have always the same kind of effect, which is a subcategory of one of your bumpers, actually like, I do know them only from American movies, but I like the comparison. Is that they say, yeah, which decisions? Just go back and think about what decisions is my direct. If you can't go back in time, then just start tracking it for the next two months. What are the decisions that my direct reports are constantly asking me where I feel they don't have to, right? You don't need to get it right on day one, but start collecting those moments where you feel employees are sanity checking things that they don't have to. For me, it's completely obvious, right? When you start noting that down, you will start to see certain patterns and certain themes that then also help you to track it for other roles. So you can use it as a reference. That's one piece of it. The second exercise I think works really well for managers is to think through what do they need to deliver, but now think about what does good look like and what does great look like? Right, And very often, when managers start visualizing what good looks like, and then they're going to escalate it to what great looks like, the great ends most of the time being doing the same, but with a higher level of autonomy. And when they start visualizing that about an activity, it's easier to understand what those guardrails are. Right? Like where you feel someone needs to go for the escalation, but also where you actually want to push people a little bit more towards those boundaries. I love that. I actually would personally even, and I, I guess I'm, I can only speak from my experience here. I think for me, this is one of the most powerful first time manager mental models, right? I love what you said too. Look at the data you do have, but also just it's Harder in practice, of course, but once you have sort of this podcast under your belt, like it's easy to kind of say, hey, there's the rail. Let me not try and overthink this and try to perfect this and manage them and get them to do all the steps correctly. But you manage through this almost like just identifying the border and identifying the bumper. So I really think this is a super powerful mental model. Yeah, sorry, can I add one thing? Because now you inspired me for another thing. <laughs> is like then. Maybe to make it also easier is to think, especially if you're an engineering manager or you're a product manager, for example, when the guardrail is not there, the escalation will go to you. So the starting point is also about your own role, right? 
what work do you want to do? And what is the type of work that's being escalated to you by your team that you want to get rid of? You can take a very selfish approach to it because then you will already also get the guardrails. You can also increase the guardrails if you want to release for more work, right? So you, since in those kinds of especially smaller teams where it's more around your role is a lot around supervision and oversight, start with your own work and where you would love to be less involved or where you want to be more involved, by the way. Like, um, that's a good starting point. Sorry, a bit of a segue that you inspired me to. No, no, I love it. That's a better, um, better said than I could have done it. So I think it's very, very well said. Can I jump in once more, though? And I love how organic this conversation is, by the way. That's like how they're supposed to be. So, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed. We're going fully off script. We made one question from a question list. Um, Anthony hasn't even got to his first question yet, but that's okay. No, exactly. But, but it fits. I think it's so interesting that you mentioned it right now, like, what are the things that you would want to be doing and what are the things maybe that you don't want to be involved in? And it really made me think about, and I don't know how we didn't put that on our question list, but really made me think about this Elon Musk tweet a week ago or when that was, the tweet that inspired 10,000 tweets or more, where he stated, well, in tech teams, you have to be, I think he phrased it something like technically excellent in order to be actually a great manager for these tech teams. On the note of like, what are the things you want to be involved in versus not so much? What is your take, Nor, on like the how much actual work do you need to do or how much quality control and testing is actually good for a tech team? So how do you think about this Ellen perspective and how does that relate to kind of the selfish motivation around like what do I want to be doing actually and what is like maybe not so good to keep on my plate? We all know Elon Musk to be a man of much nuance. I'm saying that very sarcastically for the... <laughs> I would put some nuance to it. I understand where it's coming from. I could make an argument to agree or to disagree. I think it's a great tweet for the debate club. But I think where what I think is important is when you are the escalation level, right? And you're the one setting goals, you're setting the guardrails, but you're also the escalation level when things don't work out. You need to understand, especially in a fast-growing tech organization, how the operations work. Because you need to have a built-in alarm system where you know really quickly on the day-to-day, this is tricky, this is not tricky, here I can just let them fly, here help needs to come in, right? So if you know the work that flows in that areas, that is just way more easy to see it and that you can keep the speed in the business and also can handle the amount of those moments that are happening in startups and scale-ups. So the approach of like, if you're a good manager, you can manage every other team. I've worked in corporates. There definitely in those settings could be the case. In the startups and scale-ups that I've worked, absolutely not, because you need to make so many decisions. Do you need to be good at it? No. Like, I'm really, like, I hope that the recruiters in my team are better recruiters than I am, right? I also know that that's true because I sometimes interviewed with them. I got a lot of feedback. But I do need to understand how the process works. I do need to understand when we are not going to meet our targets because something is going wrong. So not understanding the area that you're managing is also not helpful. Do you need to good, be a good engineer to become an engineering manager? I think the perfect thing is 
when the person is a really good manager and a shitty engineer, then you lose a shitty engineer and you gain a good manager. That's the ideal scenario, right? Interesting. I agree. I think it's the context that you need to make good decisions in the end. Being a good manager means making a lot of good decisions for your people and the business and the results. And I really like a pragmatic approach of like, there is an advantage to like not promoting the best engineers to managers because then we're going to lose them as excellent engineers. We also need builders. It's not all about managers, right? Like the IC careers are just as interesting, especially in tech. So thank you for making this little excursion with me. (laughs) Nice. 20 minutes in question two. Are you ready? (laughs) No, it's good. It's good, of course. Insights though. Yeah, I mean, absolutely self-explanatory. I think we've been really excited about this podcast because I think there's just tons of stuff we can uncover here. And I think one of the places that we wanted to start was, and you really already dove in, but I want to zoom us out just for one, for question two, what are, in your experience, the top challenges for new managers, first-time managers, regardless of function, but like when you onboard your your first new line managers, what do they struggle with the most? Yeah, the most is the relationship, like your role changes. So in an organization, I define four different hats that you can wear, and it's like a ladder. So it's not a ladder in hierarchy or power or importance, but it's a ladder in the amount of hats, which is only one complexity to roles. So if you, you have the employee, you have the team manager, you have the functional leader and the company leader. So the employee is responsible for tasks, and that is easier in the complexity of your stakeholder management and the different hats that you're having because you have one hat, your own. Then you're a team manager. You're now managing employees. And this is where the first line manager gets a challenge. All of a sudden, you're also representing the organization. So now you have a different priority, a different focus and a different role to hold. And especially like because you're coming from that employee level, all of a sudden things are expected from you differently and that most of the times comes to fruition when you're looking at team dynamics because if you're the team in the team there's someone who's not happy there's always someone at one point in time not happy if you're the peer whether you agree or disagree you can choose whether you're going to pick that battle or not you can just nod along when you're not into the drama or when you're uncomfortable with it when you're the team lead you need to manage it and you cannot move into it. And I think that it's important to give a lot of guidance with first-line managers, like how do you hold yourself and how can I be kind on the person and be empathetic, but still direct on the topic and start acting differently on those two elements. And as an employee, you don't have to. Well, you need to be kind, but like if the topic is not directly related to you, you can choose much more intuitively how you want to respond. And that is something that you need to learn. And I think how it plays out, and a lot of HR departments will know that, is you have performance cases that turn into a complete drama out of really good intent because people confuse either they forget to be kind on the person because they've really worked themselves up and going to give you feedback and they only give, and they, they operate very strongly on the direct on the topic and forget to be kind. Or they're so kind that the person never picked up the feedback. And then later, when there are consequences, it comes out of the blue, right? So I think that that's an important topic for line manager, first line managers. So this idea of feedback, too, is kind of where the, for first-time managers, this how to balance the person, the topic, the performance conversations, is that the first area that requires, I guess, coaching from within or without of the organization? But that's typically where you see it the most? 
Yeah, both sides though, because it's the conversational skills around it and the actual skills on giving feedback, but it's also how to manage themselves around the emotions, right? Because I've had managers who had to fire their first person. That is never nice, by the way, in your career. But like first-time managers sometimes are sick for a week, right? So it's also, it's about how do you handle that towards the employee, but also how do you manage it internally in your own system with the roles that you play and your discomfort around it. The very little people who find those kind of management things comfortable, you need to learn how to make it comfortable. It's super good. I mean, it's in the end, like self-management and emotional regulation is, I almost think about it like name of the game with leadership in general. It's like a never ending journey. You constantly have to improve your ability to understand what's going on inside of you and then how that, you know, impacts the other people around you and make sure that the impact is positive. But it's definitely, I think, super hard in the first round. It's always hard. I think letting people go is just never easy. It, And I remember a quote, I don't know who it was, was it Ben Horowitz or someone like wrote, if it's easy for you to fire people, like you should really question whether you're in the right position. It shouldn't be easy for you. But I think oftentimes our emotions and how we experience the stress around it can actually impact the people that stay or even the person you have the conversation with and make that conversation unnecessarily difficult for the other side. So managing your emotions and as what you said, making it a little bit more comfortable may actually feel counterintuitive because it shouldn't be comfortable. Of course, it's painful for both sides, but you ensuring your own emotional regulation, you're ensuring a calm presence and a calm mind and a calm communication style is actually helping that other side to get through this as well. So it perfectly makes sense. And it's not only for the negative situations, right? It's also about when you have a superstar who is highly ambitious and wants to go faster than light in their development. That is another scenario that's a positive scenario that people also struggle with because there they have this amazing employee and then giving them constructive feedback for them to grow is difficult because they are so happy with them. And especially first time when it's your first time managing, you haven't found out your comfort with giving feedback. You might assume that feedback is always a difficult thing to receive, right? You forget that it's also a gift to grow. And then they only become the applause machine, but are not setting up, they're not pushing the direct report upwards, but that ambitious direct report will challenge you on that after a while, right? So it's not only, it's in a negative situation, but it's always with the outliers and not with the middle group. It's like with the superstar pushing them up. Oh, no, but then it's about performance management, whether it's like increasing the high performers or supporting the low performers. I've read... I think an article on interview where you referenced, you were talking about employee experience and kind of how to actually like lift the baseline there. And which of course is always challenging when you're moving so fast and in hyper growth, it's often can seem like, oh, we're focused on like onboarding this new people. And like, we don't even, how do we even have time to care about employee experience for our existing people? So I think one tip that you gave was um, to think about employees as a stake, a very important stakeholder. It's actually a client or it's a customer, just as your users are your customers, your internal users. So like the The customer is buying your startup or your company's culture as part of their life is actually also a very important customer. And to think about it this way is very important. Can you unpack that a little? Like, how did you actually achieve adoption of that idea? How did that land with specifically tech leaders? Like, what changes in their perspective? What effects did you see? 
I think it had more effect in the people team and the effectiveness of the people team, to be honest, than it had in the organization. But maybe that was also had to do with the follow through of it. But with this, in the start of it, we were hiring so many. So this in, uh, during N26 time, we were hiring so many new N26 people and we had to build out all these foundations. But you're getting people in from very different backgrounds. And the risk is that everyone creates beautiful things. People in HR are really good at that. But then making sure that all those building blocks actually make sense in the same context is really important and is easily lost. So what we created was like with a product vision, an employer vision that was very much like out there future, like what does it mean? What would we deliver in the far, far future beyond where we are today? So I can give a very, it was higher level than this, but I'm going to give a practical example N26 is a mobile bank. So, okay, what does it look like in the future, right? We also might want to be mobile first as an employer and that everyone ends up having an N26 employer app that gives you your onboarding, which you can referral. So when I'm having a glass of wine with Daria and she says something that inspires me, I immediately put it in my personal development conversation. Then I run into Anthony and I'm like, Oh, I want to actually refer him somewhere, put it in the system. So everything, but also there I have my pay slip. So literally my whole working ecosystem is in the app. That was one of the ideas, product ideas that came out of it from the team. That app never arrived. But what it did create was that when the people operations team was thinking about onboarding, they immediately on their mind were like, hey, we can do that actually in an app. This could be the first start of our vision, right? And then... All of a sudden, every team starts building in that same direction without constantly needing oversight on where are we going to, right? And they will connect immediately who are the other people who are having that app, like where, where can I connect it? So that is a very pragmatic one. On a more cultural inspiring one, we very clearly said, okay, we are an investment for the future for employees. That is a direction that you choose. That was very different than what we did with SoundCloud. So we defined that as when you work at N26, that is going to give you the experience, but also the visibility that that experience becomes an exchangeable token. And that made that in the reward conversations when you would join, because we couldn't compete salary-wise with where they would come from, to start talking to candidates about this is the experience we're going to give you. It will be an investment in your future price tag. So think about what is the job that you can land afterwards. But it also meant that when people were leaving and were getting way bigger jobs or starting their own business, we would really celebrate that and say, this is what the token of N26 did. And then another team who were looking at development put in the development conversation and the training for managers, learned them how to talk about what is the future job that you want to land, even when it's not an N26. And let's work back from there, what experiences we can give you now, that it will make you land that end goal. So by that vision, all of the teams were designing things in a different way, coming from that perspective. Now, this is very specific for N26, but this is where every company can choose who you really want to be as an employer. And I think it's a good example where it shows different nuances and the different people processes that you create on the back of it. That's super, super interesting. And you mentioned like 
the difference to, let's say, SoundCloud, which obviously a different culture to N26. Can you expand a little bit more? Because I find like these examples are actually really, really tangible. And I hope our listeners appreciate it too, because when you were explaining the N26 token, I could relate to that a lot and, and also thought about how that is probably the case for like many startups or many, you know, high growth companies. So it would be great to kind of get a feel for a different example. So how was that at SoundCloud? So SoundCloud was very community focused, right? So also by the nature of the product, people had a high passion for music. So people, the joining of SoundCloud was, was to be part of the community of SoundCloud. So there was less in towards the future monetization of yourself, so to say, or it was about, I want to be part of that community. And how that translated, for example, is that all of the programs that we did, there we started very early on in the journey with continuous feedback, 360 peer feedback. When we designed the performance cycle, we designed it with a representation of the SoundCloud community. So it was not designed by the people team, it was all together. Like, And the people team was like enabling the community. So we were just making sure. So the guidelines that the people team set up were introduced as guidelines for how do we operate in our community. So it's a different choice. And you also see different outcomes that are both value, right? So a lot of former N26ers are still career coaching each other, are investing in each other's companies. With SoundCloud, people are still friends. People are still together, are still in bands together, are still going to events together. So you also see that in the aftermath... A different relationship. It's a different nature of relationship. Yeah, and one is not better than the other. Like I was... It's just different. I have both, right? But like it's important that as an organization and as a manager, you contribute to that, that you are very true to who you really are and what you're is right and it's not right or wrong but you can't be everything so all people who tell me hi can you help me with my culture i want to be netflix <laughs> and it's like okay but you are not netflix right like <laughs> someone else so be really again authentic yeah yeah authentic but also deliberate and explicit this is what we are and this is what we not are so for your next part of your journey this is what you can optimize for here Nice. My next question actually relates to that because oftentimes we hear specifically with new managers and some of them are founders, but some of them are also team leads. People really struggle when things get very hectic, be it because growth is very quick or also currently in like a market downturn, there's so many conflicting priorities. We need to think about the business. How can we reach our goals? How can we make ourselves like ready for the crisis and or to get through the crisis? Oftentimes we hear that leaders and specifically new managers struggle to prioritize the cultural things. Do you have any advice there? Like how important is it to focus on commitments you made, rituals you created in the cultural realm when like there is kind of like the business reality hits specifically hard because of some quick changes? Yeah, I think most important thing for people to realize is like, yes, culture is part of it is the rituals and how you act. But culture is also how your, to say it very unelegantly, how your machine works, right? Hmm. So how you take decisions defines your culture, right? Like how you approach talent defines your culture. Your leadership principles and your style and what you accept and don't accept is part of your culture. So when you are a manager, 
culture is your guidance of doing your job. So it's really important also in your training, whether you get it, whether you're proactively getting it or not, is also to ask either the people team or the leaders above you, like, how do I ensure that my team has the best impact in this culture? And what have you defined in that structure that I need to be conscious about for them to have the highest impact? Because there's no right or wrong culture, but you need to be consistent with the culture. Because if you with the team are working against cultural dynamics in your org, you will not have impact. Those words land very, (laughs) very uh, impactfully on me, at least, because it's exactly, I think, what you feel when you have like new people joining that are like really well intended and they want to, you know, move things forward. And it's always good ideas, right? But when it actually doesn't fit into how things work at that particular team in that particular company, it always just feels like they're treading water. And it's like painful to watch and dramatic because they're like having good ideas. And they don't understand that if you don't align, if you don't swim within the guardrail, so there's guardrails on culture too, there's things that we do, we don't do. And like, oftentimes they're only implicit. That's like the unfortunate part. So if you can't read the room in that sense, culturally, and you're a new hire and you have lots of good ideas, but you don't understand that they don't fit within the guardrails of the culture, you basically are just shooting in the dark constantly. And it's just like so dramatic. It happens actually very often happened to us recently with a new joiner. And it's, I think it's so rings so true. So, so important. And we don't make it explicit enough as leaders, I think often. Yeah, and it's really important to make it explicit in the recruitment process. Like, I don't believe in people with a label high performer. Give me that high performer, I will put them in an environment and it will be a very low performer, right? Like, people are brilliant or not brilliant in the right context. So being brutally honest, so be very conscious about what your cultural dynamic is in your organization, like preferably define it. And then also in the recruitment process, be so clear about it and also what it's not, that people opt out because you know your culture best, they know themselves best. So the, the best thing you can do for a successful recruitment process is to both be perfectly brutal, brutally honest about the reality of the other side, and then you can both opt in or out. And that is the best situation. But very often when we're talking about cultural interviews, people are talking about, well, how do you spend your weekend? And like, or like, oh, oh my God, we have a summer camp, which is amazing. I would definitely want to know about it. But like, that is not a cultural conversation you should have. So cultural conversation is actually a lot about things that are like trade-offs you make and things that are actually difficult and like the compromises you need to make because of the kind of culture that you're cultivating. Yeah, but also like your approach towards process. Amazon, mm-hmm. high process organization, super successful. Netflix, low process organization, really successful. People who like working in the Netflix context, there are people going back and forth, but probably struggle with that in an Amazon context, right? So yeah. it's about that control and uh, context setting environment. all part of your culture, decision-making part of your culture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I would love to ask one more sort of closure question, Nora, in the sense, because you've already alluded to it, but any other things to keep in mind, I guess even more switching from the business context into the culture down to the manager, but more to the manager up to the culture, because I'm sort of taking that new manager perspective. You've ended up in this organization. You may not know just out of pure ignorance or, you know, bliss or whatever, 
yeah. what the full culture is. Maybe you're in a, an organization that didn't make it so explicit, or maybe maybe they did make it explicit, but it takes you a couple of weeks to ramp up. Any other tips on how that new manager can sort of navigate that new context? What if they, concretely, what if they find themselves in a place where they are bumping up against a guardrail? What do you suggest to these new managers in order to actually sort of, you know, find their way to embody the right kind of management and leadership that this organization ideally needs? So culture comes from the people, right? So in founder-led organizations, the culture, especially in the beginning, is just like an extension of the behaviors and the dynamics of the founders. It's the character of the founders very often becomes the company culture, right? And then it evolves over time because more people are joining. So as a manager, you need to realize how you are wired and how you act will over time have a very big stamp on your sub-team culture. So a very pragmatic one is like a really love the manager's user manual. Like be all this about who you are. Like it's just an introduction to you. Like I, if you Google manager user manual, you will get tons of examples of that. But also team members can make that. So that's always a good kickoff and you just start off with the team. But even if you are someone from within the team and you're promoted to a manager, it's always a good start. Start with that. Because whether you have not proven to be the user manual that you're describing, if that is who you aspire to be, then you're setting a context. Hey, team, this is the leader I want to be that intrinsically fits with me. So also help me to get there. But also then moving upwards to your own leaders, especially when you're going in a new organization, give that proactively to the organization. This is how I'm wired. This is what I need to be successful from that environment. So it's very on you as an individual, but it is about what is the culture that you are performing best in that really transpires in that user manual as well. So it's a very easy, pragmatic thing to do to open up that conversation rather than have a conversation about, can you explain me the culture and what will I run into? Because that's so abstract that I think most people will struggle with that. Yeah. Actually, on this like manager instruction point, I have a follow-up because I talk about this all the time with our users and also in our community. And I totally see the value add it has, of course, like this ex- making it explicit, the needs, the do's and don'ts, right? We notice though that some like how you position this, especially if you're new, whether you're promoted internally or whether you are a new addition to the team, is really crucial and can be very tricky because it can also come off as like, here, I am inflexible. This is me. Like, please follow my guidelines. Otherwise, you cannot work with me. Also, I'm your manager, so you have to follow me, right? Like, I'm exaggerating on purpose right now, of course. But like, what is your advice around how to have the conversation around this do's and don'ts, which are so, so valuable? Yeah, like, I mean, it shouldn't be a guideline on, hi, this is who I am, and I can never in my life change my behaviors. But Like you can find a middle ground, right? So I used the user manual already for a long time. Like I even gave it proactively to companies in my recruitment process. Like, oh, this is what I am, so you know. If you want to get have a tough conversation with me, you probably don't want to call me before my first coffee, right? That's even on there. So if I have a direct report with a morning person, it doesn't mean that they can never, ever call me before that first coffee, but it gives them an opening to say, oh, I actually need to have this conversation before the coffee. Okay, then let's let's find a way how we work around it, right? This is a silly example. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> I can totally relate though. Yes, it's also true, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's position it as 
this is how I'm intrinsically wired. But of course, I can adjust my behaviors. But I want you to know that if you don't manage me, because you also have a responsibility to manage your manager, this is how I act, right? So if you need something intrinsically, this is what I will do. But if that doesn't work for you and I need to adapt that style, let me know, because of course, like we will find a way that works for both of us. Yeah, makes sense. But it's not a dictator rule book. Very important, I think, especially for, for new managers sometimes. I mean, we've all had made so many mistakes, I think, uh, in our own experience. Yeah, and, and we do much about, I'm annoyed when you email me a too long email, right? But it should be, it could be, if you're a more introvert leader, to say, I struggle more with groups. I'm better one-on-one, right? Or I'm a reflective thinker. So if you want a decision for me, it's better to send it to me in writing before because then I thought about it and we can have a good conversation in the one-on-one, right? So this is where you're also giving guidance for the other person. If you want to get the most out of me, this works best because this is just how I'm wired. Makes sense. I think we're coming up at the closure of this episode. Anthony, do you have any last questions left? I'm sure there is more on that question list. What's your... No, I, I mean, I always, we definitely have one final one, Noor, which is always sort of the golden question. But I think just an observation or a validation, at least for me, you said something a couple of questions ago or a couple of statements ago, which, which I think is really important for a lot of, also, I always come back to sort of the first time manager to whom this podcast is going to be a bit of a coaching experience, right? Like, I think that's the whole idea here. You said, I don't believe in high performer in the sense that I can, you give me a high performer in one context, I put them in another context and they're a low performer. I often use this, maybe it's because I'm a plant guy, I have no idea, but I often use the idea of like, one plant in the wrong soil will die. Yeah. And then you take that plant and put it in another bit of soil and it will it will absolutely thrive. And I think it all comes back to this, obviously the conditions under which you're, you're working. But I, I think in that case, that is the game we're playing as new managers in the sense, right? Yeah. You're playing almost also in my team who is performing under what conditions and how can I create those conditions? And then of course me in sort of what conditions I'm in and trying to find out the leadership equation that's going to work, you know, the aligned leadership equation here. It's a bit abstract, but I think what that statement you made was that really stuck with me because I often say the same and you're always calculating whether you're aligning that correctly. But did you have any other thoughts on that? Any other tips or pragmatic elements you wanted to add? Because I think that's super important. Well, it also helps with the kind on person, right? Because if you remember when you're having a conversation and you need to share with someone, like you're not having the impact that I think you could have in a different context is a much easier starting point, right? To start opening up around difficult conversations. That is one thing. And the second aligned tip to it is your relationship with a director board and your, the, the organization has with an employee is very similar to, in, in this sense, in a relationship that you have like in real life with your partner. It's very rarely that if you are not completely happy that the other one is not experiencing the same thing, right? So also opening up, if you feel that someone is not delivering and especially in a high pressure environment, especially in product and tech, like everyone is pushing you, you will humanly experience a level of annoyance or impatience that that person is not delivering. Just remember that this person is likely not having the feeling that they are flourishing, right? So they're probably overwhelmed. So before starting to give them the feedback, ask them also like, 
are you okay? Because I don't see you delivering what you should deliver. And I can only imagine knowing you that that is also very frustrating for you. And then, because then you open up the conversation for someone also to say, yes, I'm drowning, or I found this company way more overwhelming or complex to navigate. And then another one is like, then also be, because I see that with a lot of managers that they then try to change the context, right? But when an employee says, this company is not what I expected in the recruitment process, also have the very mature conversation to say, you are absolutely right. I understand what you're saying, but it's not going to change. So we completely agree on what we are seeing about the context. We disagree whether that's good for the organization or not, right? Because that's very often what they're saying. But then we also agree that this is not the right environment for you. So don't always go into the complete fight. You also don't always need to give every element of feedback that you have in your mind, right? Like feedback is a gift, but if it's everyday Christmas, a gift is no longer a gift, right? So (laughs) you think about whether it's still useful or not, because if the person already lands with, okay, this is not it, then focus on those next steps and then you don't need to hand anything more out. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And it's such a good metaphor. I think like it's, if it's everyday Christmas, it's not special anymore. I think it's such a powerful metaphor to mind kind of not dropping all feedback ideas you have, which I am definitely like super guilty of. I give so much feedback all the time. I really need to think about this metaphor. I think it's really true. Yeah. Well, no, yes to Nora's statement being very, very memorable. Absolutely. Nora, the final golden question then real quick is if you could go back in time to give yourself a few leadership tips at the very beginning of your journey, what would they be? Yeah, my biggest thing to myself in life, by the way, but especially as a manager and also to all managers on the call, like be kind to yourself because the disadvantage of these kind of podcasts is I'm not talking with you, la, 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 la. Like I never made a mistake in my life. If we, like now we didn't get to the questions. If we would do a podcast about every time that I messed up, like... That would be a binge-watching Netflix series for the next three years, right? Like that doesn't even fit in a short podcast. So it's also trial and error because what works with one employee doesn't work with the other one. And you are dealing with people and there are definitely situations where, and I'm an HR leader, like the, where I was under so much pressure that I put that pressure fully on a direct report, which I couldn't reflect on in that moment. And then later on thinking like, Oh my God, right? Like I could have handled it so much better. And yeah, that can keep you awake at night as well. But also be kind to yourself that do it with the right intent. Remind yourself to be kind on the person, direct on the topic. And we are dealing with human interactions and they also go wrong. And that's okay. That's you apologize, learn from it and move on, but don't beat yourself up over it because especially at the beginning of the journey, that definitely helps. It happens and it definitely happened to me. Thank you so much. I think that's a great reminder and uh, so hard to keep in mind. I don't know how that is so hard, but it's so hard to keep in mind. Thank you for all the insights and examples and advice you shared. It's incredible pleasure to to listen to you really like it's um, it all kind of makes sense, you know, and then I always go back after and like, why am I doing these things? Nor is right. So definitely thank you for all the reminders and yeah, the wisdom that 
probably comes from like just many, many years of experience and working with so many different people. Really, really thankful for that. Oh, thank you for having me and also making these episodes. I think it's great. So thank you so much, you both. Thank you, Nora. Hugely appreciated. Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.